Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. I'm Alex, and I'm going to welcome Brandon Boland to the show very shortly. He's going to be my co-host this week. He's filling in for Ed Hunt. Uh, we're going to talk about the top 10 NFL quarterbacks. Brandon is going to reveal his list, and uh, we're going to have a discussion that will center around it. I'm sure it's going to be a fun one. But let's start with the preseason, Brandon. Week one of NFL action, a lot of rookies, a lot of young players getting a chance to, to showcase what they can do. What stuck out to you, Brandon, as I bring you in from week one of preseason? Well, one guy that stuck out to me was um, Zach Wilson, honestly. Zach Wilson, he didn't necessarily have, like, all the big plays, but he made every throw he needed to make. And, you know, that was something he was really, really struggling with in camp, you know, against his own defense. For him to be the highest-graded rookie quarterback, I should say, was really impressive to me just because of how rough his camp was. You, you wouldn't have expected to see that jump going into an actual preseason game where if he's not even able to make these adjustments against his own team, you know, there was days where he was going, I think it was five for 11 with two interceptions and four punts in his own camp. So to see him make that jump in preseason was incredibly impressive to me. I think he had like a 79 overall grade by PFF. It's much better than you would have expected to see. And the flick he has on the ball is really impressive. Like you you could see the arm talent that's there. Uh, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to – you know, come into his own, but you see the the shell of what he could be right now. He's a natural thrower of the football. It, it just comes easy to him, and you wouldn't think that by looking at him, right? He's he's a smaller guy. He doesn't have a lot of beef on him, right? He's not a Justin Herbert out there. He's not a Dan Marino. He's not a John Elway. He's a smaller guy, but he's a natural thrower. He has a big-time arm, and... Um, he threw the ball with very good anticipation on a couple of throws uh, versus the Giants. And, uh, you know, there was one thing that he mentioned to reporters that asked him about, you know, struggling uh, in camp against his own defense. He said, look, guys, I'm just trying to see how the defenses operate in the NFL. I want to see what I can get away with. And practice is a good time for me to kind of find out what I where I'm going to be able to fit the ball in and where I'm going to be able to, you know, get away with this mistake and where I won't be. So I think that's the one thing that I they caught from his press conferences during the uh, training camp is that he was kind of trying to explain to everyone that, look, guys, I'm new. I'm a rookie. I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to try to find out what I can get away with. But it was really nice to see that versus the Giants, he didn't make those mistakes. I mean, he, he learned from them. He applied them. And uh, I'm not saying he lit it up, but he did well with what was given to him. He was able to find Corey Davis on a couple of occasions. He found Denzel Mims, I think, for a big play. It really does come easy to him. And uh, you, you can see why the, the New York Jets brass is is excited. What about Justin Fields? Did you catch him a little bit? He had a big-time game. He settled in early, and then he just ran with it. I think he went like 14 for 20, uh, over like 140 yards, and he scored two touchdowns. 
Yeah, Justin Fields was the second quarterback I was going to mention. Um, that game is just it shows the the athlete that Fields is. He wasn't he wasn't given a majority of the starting roster or anything, but he went out there and he made the most of every single play. Anytime a play broke down, you saw his mobility. That one scramble he had to the left side of the field for a touchdown. That man was moving. Justin Fields has he's faster than people really give him credit for. I know they give him credit for it, but. He can move. And then that throw he made to the wide-open receiver on the left-hand side of the field, um, that was just a great read. Just to be able to locate the guy, take the shot downfield as, you know, when you get your chance, it's really nice to see Fields kind of have confidence in his own arm. And when a play breaks down, take confidence into himself to, to extend the play with his legs. And his arm talent also, is it's all these rookies, every single year, I swear their arms are getting more and more talented. But he just has a, a special zip on the ball. Um, even on those, there's one play he made. It was like, it was a little bit behind him, but it, it was just an incredible throw rolling out to the right side of him, flicks it to the left 15 yards downfield like like it was nothing. Um, he gets it there in, in half of a second. So that's another quarterback that just has an incredibly special arm talent that um, is really coming into his own. He's been pretty high on field. I think he's in a good spot to, to have a decent start to his career, and that, that was a really great showcase. It shows that, you know, you could – finally bring that explosive trait to the Bears that they've been missing for so long with Mitch Trubisky, who was the least efficient big-time passer in the league. So now you get a guy that has the big arm that's willing to take that big play. It's going to really change the Bears' offense. I criticized Justin Fields during the draft process. I took him apart, but I can see him becoming like the next maybe Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson. Just a guy that can extend plays, that is a dual-threat guy, that can make things happen. You can't teach athleticism and that type of speed, and he's a 4-4 guy. He's just going to run away from defensive ends and, and linebackers out there. It's it, it's incredible. I think we saw a glimpse of it. You know, I look at the Bears right now. Like, Matt Nagy is on the hot seat. Ryan Pace is on the hot seat. But they made that big move for Justin Fields, right? They traded the farm in order to go up and get the quarterback again. They weren't afraid to do it. They did it with Trubisky. It backfired. It looks like with Justin Fields, they're about to strike gold. Do you think they should roll with the rookie quarterback in week one instead of going with the safe choice like Andy Dalton? If you're trying to win football games... I mean, you saw what Andy Dalton did with a talented squad at Dallas last year. And, you know, Dallas, they had their problems, but they do have a talented offense. You know, Dak Prescott was lighting it up when he was there, so it wasn't it wasn't due to lack of the production around him. It was You saw it was a problem with the quarterback positions. I almost think you have to take your chance with fields. It just brings a whole new aspect to your offense. You know Andy Dalton's not not an explosive quarterback anymore. He's a game manager at this point. He's not he's not going to bring you any athleticism. He's not going to be extending plays like Fields would. And also just having that young quarterback uh, leading your team, it, it's an exciting team. It's an exciting thing for a football team, especially like the Bears, who they're a lot closer to being a good team than people want to give them credit for. I really think having, having that young gun, that quarterback, is the best option for the Bears right now, especially if you are trying to keep your job. I agree with you. I, I think rookie quarterbacks, I mean, they're cashing on, they're learning the playbook, and we saw what Justin Herbert did last year, right? We saw what Joe Burrow was doing last year before the injury. These rookie quarterbacks, the playbook can be simple a little bit. He can do some things with his feet, 
He can extend plays. I mean, you saw him, you know, rolling out of the pocket and just making that flick with his wrist, finding those checkdowns as well. He knew where they were, finding those short passes to the tight end, to the running back. I was really impressed. I mean, Fields, we heard some things about him during training camp. He's got a big-time arm. But you could see that he processed the information. He knew what the defense was doing to him, and he was just taking advantage of it. So Fields was another quarterback that had a fantastic day. Any other rookies and just, you know, in general that that stood out to you besides those two quarterbacks? Oh, yes. One guy I really wanted to point out is Jeremiah Uusu-Koromoa, who was my favorite player coming out of the draft. The Browns linebacker, people want to call him a linebacker safety hybrid, call him what you want, but the man is a baller. He had eight tackles, had a sack, uh, and had, had one tackle where he just, it was towards the end of the game on a screen pass where he just absolutely blew the blew the tight end up. And a lot of people were criticizing Karoma for his inability to shed blocks. And if you watch the game tape, there was he was doing nothing except for shedding blocks and blowing people up. I mean, it. It was not an issue for him in the slightest. He was a heat-seeking missile. He was, you know, going sideline to sideline. His first step was absolutely incredible. He was an incredibly quick decision maker as well. There was no hesitance in, you know, in him either going to rush the quarterback or go if it's a play action. He he sat back in coverage. He didn't he didn't attack the quarterback. Uh, he didn't try to go attack the running back. He was disciplined with his eyes. And people were just criticizing him for being a little too trigger happy coming out of college as well. And he is trigger happy, but he knows when to be trigger happy, and that's why he was able to blow up a lot of run plays in the screen pass, and that's why he was also disciplined in the pass game. There's nothing better you could have expected out of Karamoa. I think that was the best possible start he could have had. He proved every single wrong trait about him. Uh, I think he was probably one of the more impressive uh, rookie defensive players. Other than him, Patrick Sertain had a was hands down the most impressive rookie period. I don't think it was even close. He was the highest graded defensive back in the league week one, not even for a rookie. He had a pick six, two passes defended, and had a 94 overall grade as a cornerback. Preseason, you're going up against rookies and stuff and second teamers, but you know, as a rookie, it's, corners have a hard time making that jump in the NFL. And to show that you, you have trust in you to break on the ball, uh, you have elite feet and elite hips at that age is Patrick Sertain is going to be something incredibly special. Yeah, Denver really struck gold there. Cornerback is an extremely difficult position to transitions from college to the NFL, but he's just making it look easy. And his dad played in the NFL for the longest time with the Miami Dolphins. And you, you just you could see that he has the physical traits, but he also understands what what's going on. He knows the down and distance. He understands, you know, who he's got, his responsibility in man coverage and zone. He's a very smart player. It starts from the neck up. And I, yeah, Sartain was was definitely a player that that stood out uh, during Week One, especially had that pick six. As far as Owusu Karamoa, look, he's not the biggest guy, but when you've got four three speed, nobody's going to be able to block you because. You know, you're just going to arrive to the ball carrier, to the quarterback, a lot faster than, than most people have. That was impressive at Notre Dame, the way he was able to attack the line of scrimmage, you know, tackles for loss, get the sack. He's such a versatile player, Brandon. It's a new breed of linebackers that can that do well in pass coverage, 
that have that speed but can also get a few of those sacks against the quarterback or, or make those big-time plays behind the line of scrimmage. They definitely got a steal in him. He dropped to the second round because of injuries. But, you know, the Browns get themselves a big-time playmaker, and they needed help at the linebacker position. This was a perfect fit. They got the best player on the board. It's almost like the rich keep getting richer. And the Browns definitely struck gold here, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, absolutely. I, I can't believe that, you know, he was able to fall to the second round to Cleveland. That he was absolutely somebody I had going in the first round, one of the first three, four linebackers taken. But um, that heart condition held him back. Seemed to work out for the Browns, proving every, every doubter wrong for Koromoa. I thought Javante Williams, he didn't get a lot of carries. I think he got like five. But, you know, he was decisive. Um, great cutback ability. He's a strong guy that can break tackles. I'm talking about Javante Williams, the running back, who Denver drafted in the second round. And I just think Melvin Gordon's durability concerns tell me that he's not going to be able to last through the entire 16-week season. I think Javante Williams is going to eat up on those carries. And I think by October... I think Javante Williams is going to be the starting running back for Denver. I also was impressed with the, you know, since we got started talking about rookies and started talking about Denver, those quarterbacks for the Broncos looked pretty darn good. I mean, Drew Locke had over 150 yards, right? And he threw for a couple of touchdowns. And Teddy Bridgewater was Mr. Efficient as always. But it looks like from... What I got from week one of preseason, that Drew Locke got the start, and he has the, the, the heads up, I guess, in this, in this race. Because the way he played during the week one action, taking care of the ball and making those explosive plays, this is what Denver wants. Denver has those wide receivers, and they want Drew Locke to take advantage of him because he's got a, a big-time arm. That's going to be an interesting battle. But right now it looks like Drew Locke has a slight advantage coming out of week one of preseason. No, I agree with you. And I I think Drew Locke absolutely uh, deserves it because, like you said, they're built for that type of offense. You know know what you're getting with Teddy Bridgewater. You're getting an efficient efficient passer of the football. You're going to slowly inch down the field. But Drew Locke, he fixed the problems he needed to fix. He he couldn't connect on the deep ball when he had the opportunity to, and that's exactly what he did this year or this week. You know, KJ Hamler finally doing what he needs to do, get uh, take the top off of the defense, and that was not an easy throw. That that ball soared about 60 yards, and that was on the money. That's you know, Locke has always had the big arm, but it was always getting on the money was the problem. You know, you're getting efficiency out of uh, Bridgewater, but you're getting a big play out of Locke. And if he continues to take care of the ball in the rest of preseason, I absolutely think he's taking away that starting job. You know, Drew Locke is still a tease. Almost like compare him to a hot girl in high school that nobody could get a date with. You know, she's like a tease. And this is what Drew Locke is. I mean, he's like a tease. He comes around and he's just like, he shows you what he's got. And he's got all the all the talent in the world. And he shows it for a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden, he regresses. And he makes mistakes. He's throwing picks. He's making bad decisions. And I just don't want to get too excited about this week one performance. I know I got I got started talking about it. And you almost get sucked in. You're like, yes, in year three, this is the Drew Locke that we're going to see. You know, he's doing it against a, a number one defense out there. But you know what? 
I just I want to see him put another strong performance together in week two, week three, and I want to see it during the regular season as well. Because in, at Missouri, I mean, Drew Locke was Mr. Inconsistency. From week to week, you didn't know the player that you were going to get. He has all the physical tools, all the talent in the world, but it's just it hasn't come around yet. I don't want to jump the gun yet. I would still go with Bridgewater, by the way, just because I trust Bridgewater that he's not going to turn the ball over. You might not score as many points, but the Denver Broncos, they still want to run the football. This isn't a passing team. They have a good defense. They have a good run game. They have a very good offensive line. And I just think all you need to do, and I've said this on previous shows before, all you need from the Denver Broncos quarterback is just to kind of be accurate, make good decisions, not throw picks. And this isn't who Drew Locke is. You know, Drew Locke is, again, kind of like a, a fancy sports car or a hot tease girl in, in high school. You never know what you're going to get from week to week. And I hope he proves me wrong. I hope that in year three we're going to see a different Drew Locke than we've seen in previous years. But I don't think I'm going to get that, Brandon. With the development Locke has had and, you know, seeing him take that stride, like you said, it's, you almost want to grab onto it and run with it. But, um, you know, getting his number one receiver back, Cortland Sutton, who didn't even play this last season um, and didn't even play in preseason week one, said, I guess I kind of am hoping for the best for Locke. Um, I just, it's a guy you, you really want to root for. The whole team is behind him. He's got that persona about him. He's a real exciting young quarterback, great person. Like, you don't want to do anything except for root for him. You know, I'm holding on to that big pass he made to KJ Hamler. If he can, if he can be consistent with those big time plays throughout the rest of the preseason without turning the ball over, I think that will be enough to fill in the starting job. All right, let's hope for that because, I mean, I'm sure John Elway is going to be smiling somewhere if Drew Locke leads the Denver Broncos to the playoffs and, and has a strong year because this is what they need. This is the only way that, you know, that coaching staff gets to keep his job. I mean, Vic Fangio is, is another man on a hot seat right now. It's not fair because, I mean, he, he's got a good enough team, but he's got to put it together right now. A lot of it depends on Drew Locke and that quarterback situation. Denver has got to figure it out. This is a very good team. They just need strong quarterback play in 2021. Anybody else stood out to you from uh, week one of preseason? I got one more player, and his name is Joseph Osai, uh, defensive end from the Bengals. He, you know, he was somebody that somewhat inconsistent in college, and you know, his biggest problem was his first step. You know, he's had the slowest first step as you can imagine. Um, you know, you and I would have a faster first step than this guy in college, but really fixed that last night. You know, he was he was off the line as soon as everybody else was. And, you know, he was somebody that had seven pressures in, in his first preseason start. So seven pressures is not a small number. He had incredibly active hands. He was super aggressive with his arm movement. And he's just a guy that had a very high motor, wanted to get to the quarterback every single last play, didn't show any signs of slowing down. You know, he seemed very confident in himself out there for, you know, being a young guy. And he made he made a big jump out of college. And I really think Joseph Osai is somebody that can, you know, be one of the best defensive linemen on the bank. He could take over as that top D lineman on the Bengals. Uh, not a very scary defensive line right now. The one thing that he had in college at Texas, he had a, a nonstop motor. I mean, this guy was mm-hmm. always on when he was on the field. But there's one more thing that really stood out during his college days. He was injured quite a bit. He had an injury history that's that's fairly long, and I think that's the reason why he fell to the third round to the Bengals. And during the preseason game, 
during the one that he shined in that you talk about, he suffered a, a right wrist injury. And uh, he's going to get tested on it. Well, we'll see what comes out of it. But it's just, it's a shame. Another rookie that put together a huge performance but got injured and got pulled. So hopefully it's it's not too serious. And uh, hopefully he's going to be able to shine during the regular season action. All right, let's turn our attention to the the best quarterbacks in the NFL. We're going to, Brandon is going to reveal his top 10 list, like I said in the beginning of the show. So let's start with number one, Brandon. And I would assume there are no surprises here. The Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, is there at number one? Yes, sir, he is, absolutely. All right, Patrick Mahomes should be everyone's number one. I mean, anybody that doesn't put Mahomes number one should be outlawed, shouldn't be, you know, writing about sports or talking about sports. Definitely a number one guy. I'm curious to find out who you have at number two. You know, I, I got to put Aaron Rodgers there. The age, he's he's old or whatever, but the dude's coming off of an MVP season in a 9.1 touchdown rate, so he's as efficient as, as it gets scoring the football last year. He was actually the, by far the most efficient quarterback scoring last year, and obviously he's going to drop off. He's not going to have that other MVP season, but uh, there's no reason to think he's getting anywhere under, you know, 30, 33 to 37 touchdowns. It's just it, it's a consistent thing for him. There's no reason for me to think he's going to fall off tremendously next year. And when he's playing his best football, there's quite a gap between two and three. You're sticking with this. I mean, you're giving the old man respect here, and you're sticking to your guns and and going with A-Rod at number two. I actually thought maybe you were going to roll with somebody like Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills, who just got a new contract. You know, obviously he had also an MVP-worthy type of season because of the the huge step that he took in year three. Still giving the old man some props here, huh? I sure am. It's hard for me to discredit somebody that was that old and had that MVP season. So until until I have a reason to not believe in him, I'm going to believe in him. Well, like you and I talked about it two weeks ago, you mentioned, I mean, it's the last dance, uh, him and Devontae Adams and a-Rod have basically made that known on Twitter. They they got to get that championship for the Packers. That would stick it to the organization in a way where they would just be forced to trade Jordan Love instead of getting rid of A-Rod, right? All right, I want to find out who your number three quarterback on the list is. So three through five was really tough for me, honestly. I feel like I could kind of mix and match these guys anywhere, but... You might criticize me a little bit for this one, but I'm going with Russell Wilson. I like it, Brandon. Okay. I'm I'm a big Russell Wilson fan, and I think he deserves to be in the top four. Russell, I think, does more good for that organization with less pieces, even though now he has DK Metcalf, he has Tyler Lockett. But, you know, the Seahawks defense isn't good right now. It's not like it's back in the heyday when they won that Super Bowl, when the defense was... That secondary was carrying the day. I'm all for it. I'm a big Russell Wilson fan. I'm not going to be criticizing you here. It's so impressive for me to see the amount of sacks he takes every year. It's always in the top five. And to still put up those numbers and to still have that durability 10 years into the league pretty much, he's taken a beating every single year, manages to stay healthy, and drops 35-plus touchdowns. The first eight weeks of the season, it was almost like he was a runaway for MVP. He was having an incredibly good first eight weeks, you know, and then the interceptions kind of piled up a little bit. But 
once you're running for your life behind that horrible Seattle offensive line, you almost kind of have to send up a few prayers. So what he's been able to do with the pieces, like you said, he's been given, and to consistently make them that playoff contender, even though their defense has been in shambles the last few years, there's very few quarterbacks you could put on that team and lead them to the playoffs seven straight years, you know? I, I, I can't see anybody other than Russ doing it. Let's hope that they continue and they don't break that streak this year and that Russell Wilson will keep it going. Uh, number four, I'm going to put uh, Josh Allen. Growth he made last season is enough for me to, you know, have faith in, in him as a franchise quarterback. You know, obviously the Bills do too, giving him that huge contract, the most guaranteed money in NFL history. But to go from one of the least accurate quarterbacks in football to the most accurate quarterback in football is it shows the type of, of worker Josh Allen is. He's not satisfied with being decent. He wants to be the best. You know, to put in that grind, to, to make the Bills now an, arguably the second-best team. A lot of people might say the second-best team in the AFC um, just because they they made it to the AFC championship. You know, Allen was able to lead them there, struggled in that game, but there's very few people. Mahomes is the only quarterback in the league that I think has an arm as big as, as, big as Allen, and maybe Herbert, but Josh Allen's arm talent is just out of the world. His frame is impeccable for a quarterback. Um, you know, I only think he's going to get better. The The growth that he took this past year was just incredible. The step forward, like you said, he was an inaccurate quarterback that worked on his craft, that spent some time with Jordan Palmer. It seemed like he worked on his footwork. He corrected it. His completion percentage went up by like 10%, and that's incredible. This guy was an inaccurate quarterback back in Wyoming, I was doubting him all along the way, and now he gets this big contract. He gets the contract extension for like, you know, $258 million. And by the time he's 32 or 33, he's going to get another big time contract. Yeah, the Buffalo Bills are in good hands right now. They certainly have found their franchise quarterback of the future for the next 10 years for sure. All right, how about five? Number five, I'm going with Deshaun Watson. You know, they weren't winning football games or anything, but if you look at the Texans organization, there's there's not many pieces to help you win football games. And for him to still put up the numbers that he did with, you know, probably the worst supporting cast in football, it's just so impressive. He's, you know, one of the most efficient passers in football. His completion percentage is out of this world. Still gets tons of yards. He did it without DeAndre Hopkins, and that's tough to lose a guy like DeAndre Hopkins and still, you know, be top five in passing yards and, but just it's it's incredible that Watson's putting the seasons that he's put together with the coaching that he's had, with the teams that he's had. And, you know, he showed that when he did have a team around him, he was able to lead them deep into the playoffs. And, you know, that Chiefs game that he lost a few years ago, that was, that was the last good run they made. But after that, the Texans fell apart. And that's why I can't put any of the Texans' struggles on Deshaun Watson because – if you if you watch any of those games, any of the games, it's nothing but efficiency from Watson. To be able to stay at that level that he stayed at with the team he's at, I have I can't put Watson any lower than five. No, he deserves to be in the top five. But what a tough off season he has had. Because in the beginning of this off season, he basically said, "I want out of Houston. That's it. They don't respect me. Trade me." And then obviously the legal situation that hovers around him i mean it's it's a mess right now and we don't even know the lengths of it like how far this is going to go the only thing that we could say is houston is kind of handcuffed in this situation because 
you're not going to get the full trade value for somebody like Deshaun Watson right now because the team on the other end that's even willing to talk doesn't understand whether he's going to be able to play this season. I assume that the NFL is going to suspend him at least for half of the season because of his legal situation, maybe even for the entire season. So if you're giving up, you know, say the fair value out there for Deshaun Watson would be like three first round picks and maybe a young quarterback like Tua or Jalen Hurts, I mean, to throw in there. But right now you're not going to get that. That's going to be interesting to, to keep an eye on this. As a player, he's a top five guy, but and I'm sure we're never going to see him suit up for the Houston Texans ever again. I think this is it. He's done. And I'm just curious who is willing to risk it like this. Who is willing to go out there and say, maybe Deshaun Watson doesn't even play in 2021, but I want to get him on my roster. Which team do you think should make that trade? A team that I think he would be incredible on is Indianapolis. You know, you have fantastic offensive line there. You have a great head coach. Um, you have a very good young defense. I mean, if, if Deshaun Watson goes to Indianapolis, you honestly could say they're contenders. Do they have what they're willing to give up? And like you said, Watson's sheer value, I mean, absolutely, it's, it's at least three first-rounders, you know. But with everything going on, can you give his true value up? You know, the Texans are known for giving players away for a bag of potato chips. You know, that's only when Bill O'Brien that when Bill O'Brien yep. was there, they were giving that up. Right now, they've got a a tough former Patriots personnel man, Nick Casario, and he's the GM. I don't think they're going to be doing that anytime soon. There's no way he's going to wind up with the Colts because number one, like you never trade a superstar quarterback within your division. Yeah, I mean, he's just going to kill you those two games out of the year. There, there's no way that Houston, even if they have an offer on the table, and it's the best offer that they could even get and imagine. They say the Colts say, like, hey, we'll give up three, four first-round picks for our future. There's no way they're going to do that just because he's going to kill them. You never trade a star player, and in this case a quarterback, to your division rival. And secondly, the Colts just gave up a, I mean, quite a bit for Carson Wentz. They went in that direction. Obviously, they believe in Carson. And it looks like maybe he'll be back for week one um, after he had that surgery. We'll, we'll see that. There's no way they're going to go for another quarterback right after that. I mean, they have to see what they have in Carson Wentz this year before they make a play for another quarterback next season, maybe in the draft or through a trade. So, yeah, the Colts aren't doing it. I think the Eagles will be a good spot because the Eagles can offer somebody like Jalen Hurts and they also have some capital that they can offer, some draft picks. And I think Howie Roseman is a very aggressive GM. Like, he's willing to put himself on the line out there. He's confident. He's trying to rebuild that team again. Now that Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz again are gone, I think Deshaun Watson would be a perfect choice for the Philadelphia Eagles moving forward. I think that's the team that makes a lot of sense. I think Miami is another one, just because they can give Tua in return. And Miami is pretty close out there. I mean, with their defense, with some playmakers out there, I think Deshaun Watson would make that team a playoff contender. The Colts and the Texans aren't making that trade. It's just not going to happen. All right, let's continue. We've rolled through 
one through five as far as quarterbacks. Brandon has Patrick Mahomes number one. You've got Aaron Rodgers at number two. You've got Russell Wilson at number three. Number four, you've got Josh Allen. Number five, you've got Deshaun Watson. All right, who do you have at number six? Number six, I have the greatest of all time, Tom Brady. We're rolling with Tom Brady. All right, all right. You're not one of those guys that are just like, he's not a top 10 quarterback anymore. He's still a top six guy for you. Oh, absolutely. I understand that the Buccaneers, they've got a loaded squad. They really do, but... Uh, you know, they had a very, very, very similar roster the year before, and they only won seven football games. The moment Tom Brady comes over, they're Super Bowl champions, and they, they keep every single last starter on that football team. So it's not even just from an athlete sense. It's from a, from a personnel sense. He is so valuable to that team. He is the sole reason that that team is so incredibly good right now. They, that team would have broken up quite a bit if Tom Brady was not coming back or if Tom Brady didn't go there and convince half of them to take pay cuts. That in its in its own is in, invaluable. You, that's a championship alone. And then he still he's had a solid season last year. The first the first half of the season was a little rough. He had interception trouble which, you know, Brady normally does not have, but he figured it out and you know, come when it really mattered, he he led his team on game-winning drives when he had to and you know, he showed that he could still throw the ball 45, 50 yards downfield when he has to and with the guys he has around him, there's no reason for him to fall off of a cliff. You know, I understand that. Oh, you were always wondering, you know, when is Tom Brady going to fall off because of his age? But, you know, I, I said it was going to happen four years ago, and he's proved me wrong. So until the second I see it happen, I, I believe in Brady to keep investing time in, into his body to, to stay healthy. And like I said, with the system and the players around him, there's no reason for him to, you know, not stay as a top ten quarterback. Well, he's the ultimate winner at the quarterback position. He's the GOAT. He's the number one quarterback of all time just because of those championships. And he only solidified it last year by winning the championship with the Bucks at 43 years old. So hopefully he continues to play until he's 50. Uh, I hope he's going to rewrite the, the record books. And I'm, I'm hoping he's going to win a couple of more championships before it's done because the man is just... He's happy. He's having a good time. He was held down by the Patriots way, by Bill Belichick. And now it looks like with the Bucks, he's having fun for the first time in his life in, in a long, long time since maybe his college days out there. So you got to respect it. I mean, he's almost like rekindled. He's got his second youth going on right now at 43. And it, it's nice to see the more genuine, the more talkative Tom Brady that we never got a chance to see with the Patriots just because they they ran a different type of ship. All right. I respect that. Brady at six. Let's go with number seven. Number seven, I got a former NFL MVP, Lamar Jackson. I'm one to criticize Lamar a lot, but I also am one to give him his credit when credit is due. I will say this. If, if you do take away Lamar's ability to run the football, which – you know, the quarterback position has evolved, so we can't necessarily really even say that anymore. But if you were, I don't think he's a top-ten quarterback. But because he possesses that skill set to be the best dual-threat quarterback in football, you know, it just makes his arm that much more deadly. He doesn't have necessarily an impressive arm, but his legs make that impressive. He's one of the hardest people in the league to tackle, and he's a quarterback. It's an unfair advantage, and once you have everybody coming up in the box to worry about, oh, we need to stop Lamar Jackson from 
getting outside of the pocket and running for 65 yards, he's going to beat you over the top. And that's why he was able to lead the league in touchdown passes a couple of years ago. So it's just the skill set he possesses. You can't run any type of defense you want to run against Lamar. You have to have a guy that physically can match up with Lamar and just simply stop him when he's trying to run the football. If you can do that, yeah, you can stop him in the pass game. But show me somebody that's been able to stop Lamar in the run game efficiently. You can't. So until somebody does that or until his running ability you know, goes out the window, which it's going to take some time, Lamar is going to be a top-ten quarterback for a while. It's impossible to, to run the type of defense you want to run efficiently against him because he's going to do he's going to find a way to run around you. It's as simple as that. Well, the Ravens have a very talented team, and Lamar Jackson has to prove that he can win a few more games in the playoffs, and he can finally lead them to a Super Bowl. You can win the MVP award. You can put up huge numbers out there. But in this league, it's about winning. And when you have a very good team... People are going to criticize you because you're the head of that franchise. You're the man. So Lamar has got to he's got to pull it together. I know he got the win last year in the playoffs, but he's got to continue. He's got to lead the Ravens to a Super Bowl, or that's the one thing that's kind of hanging over Lamar Jackson at this point. Not fair because he's still a young player. He's accomplished a lot with that team. He's already become an MVP, but he's got to take it up a notch and. He's got to lead this team to new heights. No, I agree with you. And that's one of my biggest criticizing things I've had for Lamar is, you know, he's that Titans team that one year when he lost in the, in the playoffs, there's no reason to lose to that Titans team. Absolutely not. Um, Ravens were a much better team defensively. Obviously, Derrick Henry, he had a phenomenal game that week. but And this year, they, there's no reason to, to not be a Super Bowl contender. Uh, you know, and a lot of people have the Browns over the Ravens and stuff like, um, which I could understand because the roster looks like that. But you know, the Ravens are—they're one of the best coached teams. They're one of the best, well put together franchises in football. It's just the culture in Baltimore is impeccable. It's—it's it's one of a kind, and they're consistent every single year. But can't be okay with being consistently very, very good. You need to—you need to get have that one year of you know greatness. Go above and beyond your MVP and, you know, like you said, lead that team to a Super Bowl because they're more than a capable team of doing so. And eight, I'm going to have to go Mr. Dak Prescott. The last three for me were also kind of a, a tough one where I could maybe switch it up a little bit. But what Dak Prescott was doing prior to his injury, um, you know, like you said, you have to win football games. But um, that Dallas Cowboys defense was, was pretty bad. The numbers he was putting up prior to that uh, leg injury was incredible. He was on pace to shatter, I mean absolutely shatter, the all-time yardage in the season. And, you know, it was only week four, but he was averaging like 400-some passing yards a game or something like that. You know, he may not be a leader in a sense of winning, which is is a big issue, and that's why I don't necessarily have him higher. But um, in the statistical category, at least, nobody really – He's a top-five quarterback statistically, and he's going to show that again this year with all the weapons he has around him. I'm kind of worried about how that O-line is going to be again. Uh, I'm hoping that they're going to be able to protect him so he can stay healthy. Um, and him coming off of that injury, is, it's a, that's a big question mark. But if I'm going based off of what the Dak Prescott I saw last season and if all the reports are not lying to me, I, I think that Prescott can still be a top-ten quarterback. I'm sure the Cowboys are a little bit worried of whether, you know, how his arm is going to be, how his shoulder is going to be, because obviously there have been a few hiccups during training camp. But 
if he's healthy, I mean, in that offense with those weapons, he's easily going to throw for like over 5,000 plus yards. No questions asked. And you know how I feel about it. I mean, I feel the Cowboys are going to bounce back. They're going to win the NFC East. So uh, I'm a believer in Dak Prescott. He's not a top five quarterback, but definitely deserves to be in the top 10 out here. All right, let's continue with number nine. Number nine is my uh, my favorite young quarterback in football, which is Justin Herbert. You know, normally I won't put somebody this young in the top ten, but for what he showed he's capable of, like even after being thrown into the fire, uh, you know how much I like Justin Herbert talking about him last time. And clearly if you could build a quarterback in a lab, you're building Justin Herbert to a T. Uh, he's got the perfect frame. His, he has one of the most talented arms in football. And he did it with, you know, not a great offensive line. Um being thrown into the fire. You watch Justin Herbert play, and you can't help but, like, just know there's something special about this guy. Know that I'm not saying he's going to get Patrick Mahomes to run for his money, but he's definitely going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the AFC for a very long time. And his arm talent is, is up there with, you know, guys like Patrick Mahomes. And it's just unbelievable to see the things that he did as a rookie and to see the faith he had in himself. And, you know, you can you can see when a quarterback is confident in themselves and when one's not. You know, you saw Sam Darnold was not confident in himself, and you could see it in his play. But a guy like Justin Herbert goes out there, and he starts slinging it on his first start ever, and he didn't even know he's going to be playing. I love to see that from a guy. And, you know, he's going to take educated chances throughout his career. And he's got, you know, big-time uh, deep receivers this year. There's no reason for him to not be the most explosive quarterback in football. Again, Justin Herbert should be in the top 10. You shouldn't apologize for that just because of the year that he had. He won Offensive Rookie of the Year, and we're projecting for the future. We're projecting for this season. We believe that he's going to continue to have a good season, and I don't think he's going to have that sophomore slump because you know all the things are kind of lining up for the Chargers to have a good season and for Herbert to continue to develop and take his game to another level. I'm curious where you're going to take this, man, with with the final uh, number 10 ranking. Who is going to make it there? Because there are a couple of guys that I believe deserve to be in the top 10. I would say there's two guys that a lot of people would put in the top 10. And I'm just curious which one you're going to go with here. So 10 was by far the hardest spot. You know, I debated throwing names like Derek Carr in there, maybe Kyler Murray. Ryan Tannehill, but Alex, I got to go with my man. I got to go with my man, Baker Mayfield. Oh, man. come on. This is such a homer pick. He doesn't deserve okay. to sniff in a top ten. So, no way. Here, here's my argument. So I know I knew you were going to eat me for this one, and I can, I can, I respect it. I can understand it. But I want to take based on what I saw the last eight weeks of Baker Mayfield, and I know there's a chance we don't get this Baker Mayfield again. But if we do get said Baker Mayfield that we saw the last eight weeks of football, I think it's unfair to put him outside of the top ten. He was a top three most efficient quarterback in football. He threw one interception the last seven weeks. Um, you know, he showed that he could lead his team to the playoffs, deep into the playoffs. He was more efficient than a lot of people's favorite quarterbacks and a lot of people, you know, guys that, you know, people regard as a top top ten guy, you know. His passing numbers, you know, obviously Lamar's got the running, but his passing is unbelievably better. He's ten times more efficient than Lamar Jackson. And, you know, for a guy that doesn't get any credit, he has nearly ten more career touchdowns 
than uh, Josh Allen and 2,000 more yards. He's statistically, he is better than Josh Allen, but the big difference there is, you know, Josh Allen was in the MVP conversation. He just has the ability to be that team leader, be that guy you're worried about. Baker's not necessarily the guy you're worried about, but, you know, if, if he's able to, like I said, carry off with the last eight weeks, he is one of the most efficient passers in football. And, you know, it's, it's a serious fact. It's not even a debate. He was incredibly efficient. His completion percentage was improved by like 8%. And, you know, the, the first half of the season, Baker Mayfield, I would say he's maybe the 16th, 17th, maybe 18th best quarterback in football. But after he made that jump after that Bengals game, it was truly a different quarterback than I've ever seen. It was an improved rookie version of himself where he broke that touchdown record. But, you know, he, he played with a lot more confidence. You saw how much looser he was after he kind of, I don't want to say OBJ is a problem at all because I vouched for how good OBJ can be for the Browns. But, like, after OBJ left, he, he had that, you know, kind of more gunslinger mentality. All right, I got to get the ball around to everybody. I don't have to worry about getting the ball to people that want the ball. So he really let loose that back half and was spreading the ball out more than a lot of quarterbacks I, I've seen. You know, there's games where within the first quarter he had a completion to seven different guys. That's not an easy thing to get out of a out of a quarterback. You know, a lot of guys have their three guys they like to go to consistently, but to have so many guys that you could spread the ball out to, and it, it may be a homer pick, but I believe Baker can be the 10th best quarterback in football. Oh, it's absolutely a homer pick, Brandon. I am going to eat you alive for this. I mean, with all due respect, I know you're a big Browns fan, and they're going to do great things this year. They are. They, they're lined up for it. If, if they don't make it to the AFC Championship game, that would be considered a bad year for them because the team is just so good. But the Achilles heel for this team is still Baker Mayfield. I mean, I'm sorry to say it, but it is. Like, if they had another quarterback on the roster, I mean, I'd go to Vegas and put a couple of thousand dollars for the Browns to win the Super Bowl. Not a gambling man, but I would do it. It's still Baker Mayfield under center. With all due respect to your stats and saying that he was a different quarterback in the second half of the year, I'm just not a Baker fan, and I'm not a believer in him like you are. He can be good one week, and then he could fall flat on his face the next week. And I just, I don't trust him. He is still probably the biggest problem that the Browns have, because the Browns have a collection of some really good players. I just don't understand how you could put Baker ahead of Kyla Murray. I don't understand oh, I, how I, you... Oh, 100% I can. And, you know, it's I've actually... I've debated... Or Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford was a tough one. Matthew Stafford is somebody I had debated there, but uh, Kyler Murray is somebody I truly don't believe deserves to be in the top 10. I think he's, you know, like 12, like he's right on the brim. You know, I can understand you maybe putting him, like, Baker at 12 or so and 13, but Kyler Murray has, you know, I think he's kind of gotten an unfair script compared to Baker Mayfield because, you know, Baker Mayfield in his second year in the league had that down year, didn't lead the team to the playoffs, and he was eaten alive. And, you know, he wasn't – he was with Freddie Kitchens. He was with a horrible system. And, you know, Kyler Murray was in the exact same situation as Baker Mayfield last year as Baker was his, his sophomore year. So he has an incredible offense around him, not a great system, and is in a very competitive division yet still can't win more than six games. And I don't hear anything other than, oh, Kyler Murray's um, – He's just in a bad system. It's it's not his fault. Well, I mean, 
Baker Mayfield wasn't, you know, he wasn't great by any means in his sophomore year, but it was a very, very, very similar situation to the season Kyler Murray just had, yet it's just such a different script written for him because it is Baker Mayfield, and he has that persona about him. And, you know, I, I love Kyler Murray. I really do. I, I'm a huge fan of his play style, but he, I really do think he's giving, he's getting a little bit more slack than Baker Mayfield ever did. I'm going to put Kyler Murray ahead of Baker Mayfield. I'll put Matthew Stafford ahead of Baker Mayfield. I'll put Ryan Tannehill ahead of Baker Mayfield because of what he's done at Tennessee the last couple of years. I would put Derek Carr ahead of Baker Mayfield. I would even put Matt Ryan ahead of Baker Mayfield just based on the career that he's had and showing the veteran some respect out there. I would even put Joe Burrow ahead of Baker Mayfield because I'm betting on the future and saying that Joe Burrow can be a really good quarterback. So I don't think Baker Mayfield is even the most talented quarterback in Ohio. So I would put Joe Burrow ahead of Baker. So Baker Mayfield, in my eyes, is not a top 15 quarterback. That's all I'm driving at at this point, Brandon. I understand where you're coming from wholeheartedly. I truly do. But I don't think there's been anything Burrow has done to prove that he can be better than Baker. Maybe he's more efficient, you know, in the short game, but Joe Burrow was the least efficient deep ball passer in football. He's the definition of a not big time player. Yeah, he's going to he's going to make your drives look pretty, but he can't push the ball downfield to save his life. And I understand it's because of the offensive line uh, situation and that's another reason why I can't put him above Baker. He's never going to be in the position to be better than Baker. And I don't think there was a single thing that he showed last year that he is better other than, you know, maybe his, his efficiency in the short game. But, you know, we talk about big-time plays and, you know, you want to score points. Joe Burrow, he's not he's not getting you 30-plus-yard passing plays. He's, you know, he might move the football for you, but Joe Burrow, I think, is a little, he's a little overrated. I, I could be just saying this because I'm a Browns fan, but – I don't think Joe Burrow had did, like I said, a short game efficiency. That's it. But I don't see anything other. He, he didn't lead the team like Baker. He's not a vocal leader. You know, I know a lot of guys in Cincinnati are behind Burrow, and I'm not denying Burrow's talent in, in any way, but he's just not ever going to be that exciting quarterback that, you know, that people think he's going to be. And even in college, he, he really didn't have the, the big-time plays. He had guys that made big-time plays like Jamar Chase. If it's anything that I saw from last year, I can't see him being a top-ten quarterback ever. One of the NFL great quarterbacks of all time is Drew Brees. He was never a good deep ball thrower. It was all short, intermediate throws, but he was one of the best at it because he threw with anticipation and he was accurate. I see the same thing with Joe Burrow in the offense that he plays in. He was one of the most efficient quarterbacks for Cincinnati in the short, intermediate game. If you can convert those intermediate throws, and that's something that he did at LSU, that's something that he did at Cincinnati before the injury, you're going to get first downs, and you're going to continue to drive your team forward, and you're going to get touchdowns. You don't necessarily need to make the big plays, and that's not the offense that they play in. To be honest with you, I mean, that's not the offensive system that they run. Joe Burrow might not be the best deep ball thrower, but neither was Drew Brees. And Drew Brees is going to be in the Hall of Fame. He has all the, you know, records out there. He's he's a top five quarterback of all time in the modern era. It's a really unfair criticism to say that Justin Herbert can complete the deep ball and he's so accurate and he can make the big plays, but Joe Burrow can't, so he's not a top 15 quarterback. 
completely disagree with that statement. So, but the thing about Drew Brees is he's also in one of the best offensive systems in the in the history of football with Sean Payton. He has also been surrounded by some of the best offensive linemen we've seen. But, you know, and, and anybody listening, I want you to go watch them, and I'll do it myself. I really think the Joe Burrow hype got a little a little bit out of control. I'm not, you know, I really do think he will be a, a longtime starter in this league. But, you know, like you said, they turn into first downs and they turn into first downs. But, you know, eventually they need to turn into points. They weren't winning football games when Joe Burrow was playing, and, you know, I – Justin Herbert didn't win many football games either. So, you know, I'm not saying he's never not going to, but I, I think it's incredibly unfair to say Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. I don't think there's been anything to prove that. I'm talking about the future. I mean, we are saying about 2021, right? We're saying that Joe Burrow's ceiling is higher than Baker Mayfield. So my top 10 list is about kind of projecting and moving forward. It's not about you know, what you've done and accomplished in the previous years. You take that under consideration, but you're also projecting. Is this guy's ceiling going to be higher as we move forward? I, I think Burrow's ceiling is a lot higher than Baker Mayfield, and we'll see. We'll come back to this conversation this season when Joe Burrow is tearing it up out there, okay? All right, hey, I, and I, I, I like this conversation a lot, and I will, I will say one more thing. I don't think Burrow will ever does have the opportunity to be better it's i don't think he'll reach it and it's not because of his fault it's due to the Bengals organization and it's due to them not taking the right steps to protect him and give him the time to maybe then be that you know have bigger plays downfield because you can't with that offensive line and that's also a big part of the reason why i'm saying i don't think he'll reach that it's not it's not fully because of his fault it's because of where he's at and how they've shown they're going to take care of him like you you said, you know, they should have taken Penny Sewell. He was sitting right in their lap. And, you know, if you're not going to, you know, protect this guy, you want to be good for a long time who's already, you know, taken quite a serious injury. I don't know if he'll ever reach that ceiling because they're not taking care of him and getting him in the position to reach that ceiling. We'll find out who the better quarterback is going to be moving forward. Again, it's not a secret. I'm not a big Baker Mayfield fan. I'm not surprised that Brandon put him in the top 10 just because, hey, if I'm rooting for the Cleveland Browns, I guess I got to put my quarterback in there. Yeah, you got to do what I got to do, my man. I got you. All right, one last thing before we get out of here. I just wanted to mention this. Jamal Adams signed a new contract, making him the richest safety in the game. So the Seahawks traded for him, and now they locked him up, and you know, he's he's an integral part of their defense. He does a lot of things for them. Everybody is, is cashing in nowadays. Josh Allen did that a couple of weeks ago, and now Jamal Adams did the same. Thank you for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. Take care, everyone.